The subject we're going to talk about today is something that absolutely some of you, no doubt, no doubt in, the, in the world that uh, woke up with this issue on your mind today, and all of us have had it at different times, and all of us will have it, and it's the subject of guilt. And uh, the title of the sermon is Getting Past Guilt, and uh, I'd like to go ahead and lead us in prayer, and then we'll, then we'll dive in. So, Lord, uh, thanks for the day. And uh, we don't come to you because that's what we do at the beginning of sermons or the end of sermons. We come to you because we really, truly want your spirit to be here. We would like your spirit to uh, speak uh, through me and uh, so that uh, your people um, can be changed by you. Because you do the changing, not us. Um, Forty minutes uh, up front here doesn't get a change done, but Lord, only when you're speaking through us and to us. So we just ask that you would be the teacher and that uh, I and... Uh, could be out of your way, and pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I grew up in Clackamas, Oregon. I grew up with a kid named Mike Barker, and we got into a lot of trouble together, had a lot of firsts together, um, first kiss ever, not with each other, with each other's sisters, sorry. Had to clarify for some of you that don't know me well. Um, uh, yeah, kissing each other's sisters kind of a weird thing, but we did that. And neither one of us got, ever got into smoking, I guess, because our parents didn't. So we decided to try the next best thing. We got a piece of rope and tried to smoke rope. How weird is that? But it cured us. We never smoked again. And, and, uh, and we got in trouble, you know, throwing cherries at cars. And the police pulled us over, and we were saved from going to prison. When I told Mike wouldn't tell the police officer his middle initials what they were, and I clarified for him. Michael W.W. W. Barker was Michael William Woodhead Barker. They got a laugh out of the police, and they let us off. Um, and, yeah, so probably the worst thing we, well, not the worst thing. There's a few that, you know, have not, you know, passed the uh, statute of limitations. But one time we actually learned how to say bad words together. And you have to understand, I was a Christian kid, and Mike was a Mormon kid, so we don't say bad words. So we had to figure out how to do this without doing this, and, you know, because we don't want to get in trouble. So I won't use, tell you what the word was, but it's an organic matter that farmers use, okay? So what we'd do is he'd say the first half, and I'd say the last half. And we got pretty good at it, but we never said a bad word. We never did. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. He's actually my first convert, too. I told him, here's the deal, Mike. You and I are never going to play together unless you become a Christian. So he, he became a Christian so we could keep playing. I don't know if it stuck, but... Anyways, probably the, the thing that we got in trouble that I wanted to tell you the story about today is... Um, we were uh, at 10, and I was a year older, so I guess I was more responsible. Right around 10 years old, we decided that our parents were not stocking the refrigerators in a manner fitting to our growing bodies, and so we decided to break into the neighbor's place. Now, being smart criminals, we went to Mac and Dixie Gilmore's place. We knew they weren't there, friends that went to our church. Yeah, how bad is that, right? And knock on the front door, and of course, nobody's there, and we're smart, so we go around to the side door. And we knock on the door, and they're not there. And so we start pushing on. We feel this little give. We feel this give on the door. And, uh, and, and, and I go, man, it must be a door. It must be a chair. Let's keep pushing. Well, what it was, it was Mac. And he waited long enough, and then all of a sudden he opened it like, like this. And, hi, Mac, what are you guys doing? We, we thought we heard somebody say, come in. We thought somebody needed help and everything. And so if you're okay, we're going to leave now. Goodbye. Take luck. And we went off. Brian Regan fans out there, got to take luck. Yeah, and uh, anyway, so we went. And a couple of days later, I remember exactly where I was, out in the garage. And uh, my mom 
my mom comes out and says, Don, uh, Dixie was just here, and she said you and Mikey uh, were, you know, tried to break into their house. I go, no, we didn't. We were, and this is what sin does, and, and guilt does. It makes you do more. Uh, I said, no, we weren't. We were trying to get in there. Somebody needed help. We heard them say, come in, you know, trying to save them. And she went after Now, they were pretty sure you guys were trying to break into their house. And I remember right where I was standing, within inches, I said, Mom, God knows. <laughs> Ten years old, right? And he did. And, you know, that's, that satisfied Mom, you know? And uh, a couple years later... After that statute of limitation, I told her, and when my relationship with God became more important to me along the way, I confessed that to him. But through the years, and that was 10 years old, I, we lost track. We had moved to Canada for high school and came back, and Brent and I got married moved over here to Central Oregon, and, um, and the Gilmores had moved off as well, so there was nothing there, but it kept niggling at me, and that's what guilt does. It kind of stays at you. And uh, finally... Uh, about 50 years old, just six years ago, I just was on my mind, and I found out they'd moved to all places, Prineville. And so I, I, by all places, I mean nearby. Nothing wrong with Prineville. <laughs> Ask our pastor's wife. She'll tell you. She was born there. No, so I just, they're close by. And so I called Dixie up and told her what had happened, what I wanted to do. And she said, Don, I think you ought to come out and see Mac. Oh, you never know what's going to get this guy emotional. But she said, and I went out there, and the reason why she wanted me to come out is Mac was in the last stages of Lou Gehrig's disease and, and was able to speak to me through a computer thing, and, and I'd tell him, and just this cryptic little message that no words, but the beauty on the guy's face and the words was so cool. And how cool of it is that of God to let me, you know, take care of that, you know, just you know, a very few months before the guy died. It's pretty cool. But the, the problem with guilt is when it's, when we, we don't respond, God gives us guilt in, in, in form of the conviction of the Holy Spirit so that he can help us move beyond remorse for our sins. I feel bad. I got caught. I busted. I did something bad. To repentance. To move from report, uh, remorse to repentance because he knows there's freedom in confession. Uh, Psalms 19 says there's freedom when we confess our sins. And the, and the problem when we, when we don't, there are a lot of things happen. You just go to the Bible for some examples. You look at Adam. You know, he's busted in the garden. They do some things they're not supposed to do, just something God tells him not to do. And what's the first thing he does? What did guilt, what did sin make him do? It made him blame people. Well, God, the woman that you, I mean, double blame game, the woman you gave me, he blames there. And what happens with Cain? You look around and Cain, immediately, Cain kills his brother, and what does he do? He, he compounds that, and he lies to God. Where's your brother? Well, am I my brother's keeper? He lies to God about Cain. And then you look at Joseph's brothers. What do they do? You know, they, they throw, they're jealous of their brother. They're angry. They throw him in a pit. They're going to leave him there to die. And he's thinking they're playing a game. Come on, guys, let me out. You know, and finally the cries get less and less, and they start feeling guilty. So they do more. They, they sin further. They sin compounds sin. So they take him out and sell him into slavery. And think about the children of Israel with them. They're just impetuous. Sin will make you impetuous. They were going to go into the garden. The, the 12 spies came back, and two of them had good reports, 10 had bad. They chose to believe the 10 bad reports, and they're discouraged about going. And God says, okay, that's it. 40 years in the wilderness, and I'm not going in with you. And they go, wait, 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 God, wait, we're, we're, we're just kidding. Do over. And they're going to go in to fight. And, and Moses says, don't do it. God's not with you. And they go in to fight anyways, and the Malachites and the Canaanites whip up on them. And sin will do that to you. Another thing, sin and, and guilt and, and will do, it will make you not trust people. Look at King Saul. 
you know, his sin of not waiting for God, not listening to God. He couldn't trust David, who God had given the kingdom to, because he wasn't able to, he wasn't able to trust, because he knew himself. And you think about Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, that, what'd they do? They, they had to hide themselves. They couldn't, you know, be honest, be open. They couldn't tell the true story because they felt guilty about how much they had kept, and they didn't need to be. Peter made that clear, but they felt guilty. Sin does these things, and it just makes you, it makes you do things that you don't want to do. In fact, Ron Mel, uh, he was one of the dearest authors uh, that we had at Multnomah, and he's attributed with a quote that said, uh, uh, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will cost you more than you want to pay. That's what sin will do. And, and the, probably the biggest cost, the biggest cost in our lives for sin is that we, we cost ourselves our relationship with God, right? Um, Ephesians 4 says that when we sin, we grieve the spirit, right? And so when we grieve the spirit, he comes along, he convicts us of sin so that we'll move from that remorse to repentance. But if we don't do that, 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about how we will, we quench the spirit. We quench the spirit. And when that happens in our life, now we're cut off from that fellowship with God. Now we're cut off from the joy of the spirit. Now we're cut off from that intimacy with God. And we're cut off from, from the power of the spirit. And we're like, Francis Chan wrote a little book called The Little Red Tractor, and then he describes this village. They have this red tractor, and they farm all year long, and it's a hard, hard task. And, and then one night, a farmer stays up late, and he finds this manual. He starts reading it, and the manual is representative of the Bible. He finds out this, about this thing called the Holy Spirit. When he finds out he's supposed to put fuel in the tractor and turn it on, the Holy Spirit's our fuel. And so many of us, we live without, we just live without that fuel in our lives. We, we just choose to live that way, and... And uh, because we won't, we won't repent. And when I think about that, I, I, think, I know right now, and like I said, I know people came to this room feeling guilty. And there are people in the room right now who are thinking, Don, you don't know what I've done. You have no idea what I've done. I, I had an affair. In fact, I'm having an affair. That's, that's happening now. Um, some of you struggled with pornography last night, and you're saying just, and you're feeling the weight of that guilt. Somebody had an abortion some time ago, and they feel guilty about that. Somebody cheated on their taxes. That's happening in the room right now, and you just don't know, and I can't tell. I can't bring this into the light, and that is a lie of Satan. will come to that. Other people in this room are saying, you don't know what happened to me. Not what I did, but what happened to me. I'm a victim of rape. I'm a victim of incest. I'm a victim of abuse. And you feel, for whatever reason, and I tell you the reason in a minute, we feel guilty about that. You come, we come with guilt. And it's not something we're designed to live with. Now, I'm going to tell you, Satan's really happy when Christians don't respond to the Holy Spirit, that good guilt, that conviction. He's really happy to let you live there. Because he doesn't want you to live with power. He doesn't want you to live with friendship with God. And he doesn't want the fruit of the Spirit manifest in your life. Because this is the best testimony we've got going is when, when people look at us and know who we are. And they see love. They see joy, pay, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things coming from us. He loves it when we've quenched the spirit because we don't look like anybody else. We don't look any different than our neighbors at that point in time. We yell about the same stuff they yell about. We worry about the same, and we don't have that power. But for the Christian who has confessed that, 
what he does is he, he absolutely comes in and, and he plays the whisper game. And, and uh, Revelation 12.10 says, it says that, uh, that Satan is what? He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of the brethren. And, 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 and so for that person who has confessed, he's over there whispering, you're such a second-rate Christian. You don't do enough of this. You do too much of that. And he's out there accusing us because he does not want us tied into the vine. He does not want us to know the joy. Peter talks about the joy inexpressible in our relationship with God. He doesn't want us to know that. That joy itself is an apologetic. It's a defense of our faith. It's, a, it's an evangelistic tool, but he doesn't want that. So he whispers. So he leaves alone the Christian that has not asked God for forgiveness and not respond to the Spirit, who has quenched the Spirit. But for the one he has, he's over there whispering. So what do you do? What do you do when you, when you come to that place and, and, and you want to be done with it? And, you know, uh, I think the first thing we do is we go back to the book. We go back to the Word and we go to the cross. And what I want to do is uh, just kind of read through and talk through some verses in Hebrews 10. And I've been on this uh, deal this year. Normally I read the SV, and this year I wanted to read through the Bible a couple times. And it's kind of like, you know, when you, when you uh, how many, if you grew up in the church, you know the old hymns. And, um, and, 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 and you can start singing Amazing Grace and just kind of do it on autopilot. And yet when the, when the worship team comes up and they sing, uh, you know, a, a, to a new tune, it engages us a little differently. That's what reading through a new translation has done for me. I love this one. It's the, I think it's the best thought translation out there. It gets at the intent of the author. So it's just this really refreshing to read through at a devotional level. And so I'm going to be reading, uh, excuse me, reading from the NLT. I'm allowed to do that one time. Um, I'm, I'm going to be reading through the NLT. And uh, I'll just comment on some of these verses as we're going along. And I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, uh, The old system in the law of Moses was only a shadow of things to come, not the reality of good things Christ has done for it. By the way, the argument of, let me just step back for one moment. The argument in Hebrews, the author is trying to make, is the superiority of Christ. The superiority of Christ over the sacrificial system, the priesthood, over Moses, over the angels. And now he's talking about moving to this section here. It's about the superiority of the new covenant, not God's old covenant of the sacrificial system, but the new covenant that Christ has brought in. All right? So uh, the sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide, underline this, keep this in mind, perfect cleansing. Hmm, wonder what that is. Perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and this, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. That's what God, God wants, a perfect sacrifice where our guilt disappears. So then uh, verse 3, but just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices, every time they brought them into Jerusalem, reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why Christ, when he came into the world, said, you do not want animal sacrifices and grain offerings, but you have given me a body so that I may obey you. No, you were not pleased with animals burned on the altar and with other offerings for sin. Why not? Because they didn't provide a perfect sacrifice. They didn't release the people from the guilt that went with that. 
Then Jesus, he says, then I said, look, I've come to do your will, O God, just as is written about me in scriptures. Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or grain offerings or animals burnt on the altar or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them. Wasn't pleased with them, then why did God do it? These sacrifices appeased God, but because they weren't a perfect sacrifice, they did not please God. They appeased him. They took care of it for now. On a yearly basis, sin was taken care of, but it didn't take away their guilt. So it wasn't a perfect sacrifice. Then he added, look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to establish the second. And what God wants, I love this verse, and what God wants for us is to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time, one time, one time. Wants us to be made holy by this perfect sacrifice of Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands before the altar day after day, offering sacrifices that what? Can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as one sacrifice for sin, again, good for all time. Then he sat down at the highest place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled as a footstool under his feet. A really, really big verse here. Uh, Verse 14, for by that one offering, he perfected forever, okay, our position in Christ, perfected forever for all those he is making holy, the process of sanctification. So we have this process, so we're made holy, but we still have this process of sanctification as we're growing into uh, look like Jesus. Then the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts so they'll understand them, and I'll write them on their minds so they'll obey them. Then he adds, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Because when sins have been forgiven, there's no need for any more sacrifice. Never again remember their sin and lawless deeds. There's a story about a guy who was really struggling. I mean, he's one of those guys that had asked forgiveness, and yet he listened to the accuser, and, and uh, the accuser kept telling him, hey, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're this, you're that, you're, you're not, you're second rate. And uh, fi- there's this woman in their church who always kept saying, God told me, God told me. And so finally he's fed up with it, and she came up, he says, why don't you go ask God what he, what he tell, told you about my sin I committed 12 years ago? So the lady goes away, and she comes back to church next week, and he said, okay, what'd God tell you? He says, he, didn't, he doesn't remember. He doesn't remember. Psalms 103.12 says this. says uh, that, that our sins, that God basically, he remembers them no more. He says as far as the east is from the west. Now, some of you have heard this before. We were with a couple overnight uh, and sisters, and we're talking about this, and they, they hadn't talked about this before, but think about it. A north and west, a north and south. I can get there. I'm going to get cold getting to north, but, but I can get to, I can define north, right? How far do you have to go east to find west? You can never find it if you're going to continue to go east. They never meet. As far as the east as the west, so God remembers, he remembers our sin no more. So when we dig, when, we, when we're remembering them, it's Satan bringing, once they've been confessed, it's Satan bringing them up. It's not God's plan to continue to bring these things up. And I, I find great hope and, and, and encouragement in that. I'm going to read, uh, just read to you a little passage of scripture about this for those of you that have, you know, just struggle and, uh, with this issue and um, just kind of read it here. Um, 
This is in Romans 8, 31 through 39. I'm just going to read through without commenting. Listen, let's let scripture be its own commentary here. What can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God, who gave us Christ, also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Who dares accuse us? Will God know? He's the one who's given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Will, will Christ Jesus know? For he's the one who died for us and raised us to life for us and is sitting at the right place of the highest honor next to God, pleading for us, praying for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? All those sins I committed? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death? Well, even the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from his love. Death can't. And life can't. The angels can't. And demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of, the love of God that is in Je- revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, Adam and Eve were uncomfortable and their nakedness, and, and we're pretty uncomfortable at times with this clothing of grace that God's given us, and we try to cover our uncomfortableness, our guilt with works and things like that, but you just need to think about maybe we are unintentionally create, affronting the living God when he says, my son is a perfect sacrifice. He's perfect. He took it away. You shouldn't have any guilt. I don't remember it. You shouldn't. The Apostle Paul in First Timothy 1 says, I'm the chief of sinners. And, you know, it's kind of hard to argue him. This is a guy that killed Christians because they were Christians. That's why he did it. And, and yet he, said he was able to appropriate God's grace. He just embraced the grace that God gave him in Jesus. Um, I'm pretty sure, uh, I hope, that uh, God would be speaking to people today of, of things that need to be taken care of and and uh, some of you might be thinking, I, I've got somebody to talk to. And uh, that's good. Uh, I'm going to give you a verse. really important. This one Brenda and I have used a lot in our own relationship and counseling others. It's Ecclesiastes 8.6. And it, it's, part of it's going to be familiar, but listen to it. It basically says there's a proper time and procedure, a proper way and a proper time for every matter, for every matter, then it says this, even though a man's pain weighs heavily upon him. Proper time, a proper way to tell somebody something hard. Now, we can't play this lie to ourselves. We, I can't tell people I want to hurt them. You know, the whole idea of not bringing something out into the light. We need to bring things out into the light, but there needs to be a timing and a way to this. And because it's tough. You know, you've hurt somebody and you've wounded somebody, uh, the fact of the matter is building trust back takes time. Uh, it takes constancy, consistency over a period of time. That, that's how you build trust back. And also I would say that relative to uh, 
to that, your only job, after you have approached with grace and truth, right timing, right way, uh, your job once you've done that is to also extend grace. Because sometimes it takes people a while to adjust to hard news. It just takes, and and Bible says, in as much as possible, you be at peace with all men. You do your job, and then you pray for them. Some of you uh, will likely go home today, get a phone call, and um, you're going to have to get prepared for this thing called forgiveness. Forgiveness is uh, to give up the desire or power to punish. You give up the desire and the power to punish, and, and we hold that in the hand. We, the offended ones, hold that in our hands. And I tell you what, I think it's really really important to have a strong conviction and understanding of this thing called forgiveness. I'm going to give you two verses, and then I'm going to paraphrase a parable. parable. Um, Ephesians 4.32 says that we're supposed to, essentially it says we're supposed to forgive each other as God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. All right. Forgive each other as God. What we know about God is that my sins, because he's a righteous God, my sin deserves death. So whatever I've done, I deserve death before holy God. And I'm supposed to forgive this person as God has forgiven me in Christ Jesus. They, didn't, they don't deserve death. I'd like to kill them for what they did, but they don't deserve death. And that's how we're supposed to forgive. And again, it's not what counselors tell us, you know? It's not what popular, you know, what everybody else is doing. It's what scripture says. That's what we have to do. The next verse, kind of similar, is Colossians 3.13. It basically is forgive as the Lord forgiven you. It just reinforces that one. Um, You don't have to look it up right now. Just paraphrase. Um, In Matthew 18, the last parable of Matthew 18, uh, there's a story of this king who's calling in his debts, and he calls in this guy, a servant of his, who owes him a lot of money. And the idea behind the money is it's a, it's a sum he could never, ever repay. King calls him in and forgives him. And this guy is pretty happy, goes waltzing out. Yeah, I'm free. My bank account's looking good and all this. And he sees a guy that owes him a couple bucks. That's the idea. There's a couple bucks. And he goes grabs this guy and starts choking him and saying, where's my money? Where's my money? And did what he had the right to do. He put him into debtor's prison because of the offense against him about the breaking of the contract of the money that he owed him. He throws him into prison. Well, the guy's friends see it and they go back to the king and said, look, look what he did. And the guy calls the worthless servant up and he calls him in and he says, listen, I forgave a debt you could never repay, never. And you wouldn't forgive this guy a couple bucks? And, then, and, the, king, and the king says, okay, throw him into debtor's prison until he can pay the debt, because he owes this debt. So throw him into debtor's prison. Now, what do we know about most of the parables? This is really important right here. Most of the time, they're told in such a way that you had to work at the meeting. And in fact, Jesus obscured the meeting. A lot of times, he went to the disciples who go to him afterwards. What do you mean by that? This one's different. Jesus turns to the crowd and says this. He says, uh, so this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. We've been forgiven a debt we could never repay. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not one. 
all you know, our good things are as filthy rags before the Lord. We've been forgiven a debt. And, and what he's saying here is you're going to live in a, a relational prison. You're cut off from me, going back to quenching the spirit. No, no power, no fellowship, no joy, no comfort. That's where you live if you choose not to forgive. Scripture says it. It's hard, hard stuff. But it's true. Some of you are actually thinking that uh, I've made such big mistakes. I'm out of God's will. I could never, ever, ever get back on track. And, you know, I've been at places in my life where I felt that way as well, too. A few years ago, I, God had entrusted us with a lot of resources, and I, in trying to really grow those for the kingdom, started a company called Corbin Companies. The idea was half of our profits would go to, to the kingdom, and we ran through a lot of money. And uh, I really struggled with that and, and forgiven myself. And I was actually over at a friend's cabin and was just reading through Genesis and watching the patriarchs and their, and their interaction with God. And they had real time with him, you know? And, and he'd tell them these things and then he'd go out and do dumb stuff. And, I, and yet, I, I started to learn through that, 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 you know, shall I make mistakes that grace may abound? No. Shall I, shall I sin that grace may abound? No, but it does. Shall I make mistakes that grace may abound? No, but it does. And I, I saw this concept of how God's will is real time. And the moment we step back into repentance, God takes those things and does something out of them and in some strange, crazy way that he could have never done had we not messed up. I mean, that's how magnificent and how, how amazing he is. I, uh, before we pray, I, I, I want to I read the words to a song to you. A friend of mine sings, Kim Ingstrom. It's not, she didn't write it, but I, I just want to listen to the words. If any man be in Christ, then he has become a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new in him. Listen, God no longer knows the things that brought you to this place before you came here. He only sees you holy now, faultless and blameless as you're standing here. The chorus. Praise him. Lift your hands and praise him. Praise him. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise him. I love this second verse. Through the blood of Jesus, his righteousness is like a robe upon you. Clothing and covering, his garment of praise will now adorn you. You'll live and reign forever as kings and priests and sons. He'll call his own. His blood is flowing in you now. Royalty has finally found its home in you. Praise him. Lift your hands and praise him. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise him. That's who we are, people. Uh, we're this new creation against, there's no charge. Who can bring it? God's not going to, Jesus is not going to, beyond that, there's nothing that can come against it. And we, and we really have two responses when guilt comes in. We can, we can ignore it and quench the spirit, you know, or we can bring it into light and confess it. It's hard stuff. Been there. It's hard stuff. But bringing it into light is where it'll die, where sin will die. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in a prayer right now, and I think I'm, I would love to have a little, some time of silence, I, I think about f 
maybe four kinds of prayers we could pray for. One, I think there's people here that uh, may be visiting whatever. You've been in church for a long time and you've always felt guilt and, and, and maybe, maybe you don't know Christ and, and you need this perfect sacrifice that God offers. So I want to pray for you. And if that's true of you, I'd love to meet with you afterwards and uh, we can talk about Christ's sacrifice and, and how we can uh, move into that, move into the freedom and, and, and move into a relationship with God. A uh, second group of people are those people who have something to say. And you know what? Another a cool, a great prayer for all of us is just go to the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything I need to take care of? I mean, I'm 50 years old. I took care of something. Is there anything I need to take care of? Lord, if you show me it, just tell him in advance you'll take care of it. Just say, Lord, if you show it to me, I'll, I'll take care of it. And trust him for that. There's those of you that absolutely know you've got stuff to take care of. You know, and we want to pray for you. And, and then there's those that are going to get the hard message. We want to pray for you. And here's the deal, guys. Um, First Corinthians, we're a body. I don't really know if we believe Scripture well enough when it says that when one of us suffers, we all suffer. And, 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 or else I think maybe, I mean, I just checked, I was thinking about this as preparing for the message this week. I go, how much do I really pray for you, for the people in the body who, who are, I need you to be strong so I can be helped and, and I can help you. And to help, do we really truly take that seriously? So I want, I, I, for all of us, maybe you don't have any of those other categories, but man, this is a time as we just be silent for a minute, not I'll close this up, I'm just asking God where we're at as a body. Let's pray together. Let's join together our prayers to him are gathered and ask God for any of these areas that you feel are feeling right now, any areas you want to talk to him that he puts on your mind. I just want to be quiet and let the spirit of God do what he does, move amongst us. Because that's what he does. And by the way, if that's not our experience of it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that it's true. Maybe it, we don't experience it because we've quenched him or grieved him. And so asking God, have I grieved you? Have I quenched you? And let's pray that for, to each other, for each other. Because we want uh, those, this body to be whole so God can do everything he's intended to do from eternity past here amongst us, okay? So uh, let's just be quiet before the Lord together. Uh, in a moment, uh, for a moment, just pray together, and, and, and I'll close this up in just a moment here. Just praying here, Lord, I'm, I'm thinking about David's psalm when he says, where can I go to hide from your presence? Where can I go? I, if I go here, you're there. If I go there, you're there. You know, my thoughts before I think them. And, and God, just uh, for the hiddenness that we get comfortable with in our lives, how we learn to walk with a limp and ignore it. And Lord, we just pray right now that your spirit would truly um, reveal things to us that we've kept in the darkness that we've ignored and you'd bring these things out so they can be dealt with. Lord, we are your body. 
And we truly do understand that uh, when a leg sore, it affects the rest of the body. When an arm sore, just the way it works. So, Lord, uh, you've heard our prayers. You've heard prayers of pain. You've heard prayers of fear and prayers of agony. Um, You've heard people praying who desperately want to get rid of a burden and they're afraid. God, would you help them to understand their position in you that you do not condemn them. You love us. You gave this perfect sacrifice in Jesus and you're, you're pleased. You're pleased to forget these things when we confess them. Lord, it'd be a, for somebody out there, it may be a day of freedom. A day of freedom. Lord, maybe there's people here that uh, don't know you and tried other things and they cannot get rid of the guilt. Jesus, thank you for your perfect sacrifices enables us to lose the guilt. God, thanks for not being sacrificed, not being satisfied with a sacrificial system that left us guilty. You were appeased but not pleased. But thank you for what you did. Lord, I'm thinking of the people that are going to go home and get a call or have a date with somebody they love and they're going to hear some hard things. God, for those people, would you let them just grab a hold of the grace that you've given them in Jesus? Would you help them to take a step into the darkness to trust you with pain? Would you help them to forgive and, and really give up that desire and the right to punish? Just, Lord, uh, visiting with my buddy who lost a son here recently and, and put everything in perspective for him. And he said, how do we live now? Living intentionally. Lord, that's what this community of believers, we want, you want for us. And what we want, we really truly want to be used by you. We want to see you at work. We want to know that your Holy Spirit is active and 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 not quench, not grieve, but he's doing the work. So, Lord, it's not about us. It's about you. Lord, we need your spirit, and we invite your spirit to continue to do the work. We love you. We love you, Lord, and uh, thanks for loving us, and thanks for sending your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.